Good morning. My name is Kale, and I am the second campus director here at The Story, and it is such a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Also, I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online. We're thankful that you're joining us as well. All right, so we are in the middle of this series on prayer. It's called Earth to God. I remember before I was a Christian thinking that prayer was both formal and formulaic. I thought that I had to start every prayer with dear God, because that's how God knew I was talking to him, right? That's what I thought. So I bowed my head real low. I closed my eyes real tight, because if you opened them, then it would shut off the communication, right? But that's what I was always praying like, was that I was writing this formal letter to God. And then at the end of some of my prayers, I don't know how many of you do this, but it was like I was patting myself on the back. It was like, hey, God, you're welcome for that beautiful prayer that I just prayed, for those beautiful transitions that I made. Hey, I even quoted your words back to you, right? And I hope that I persuaded you enough to do the things that I want you to do, which is pretty much the opposite of what Jesus tells us in the Bible, but the point is, is that my mindset was that I could never come to God unless I set it up perfectly, unless I was in the right place, unless I said the right things, unless my physical posture was just right, and if I wasn't doing those things, then I might as well not even pray. And guess what? I didn't pray a whole lot because I put it all on myself and it was exhausting. Essentially, what I was doing is I was making prayer this one-sided letter to God, to this entity up in the sky. All right, how many of you still write letters? Anybody? Okay, for those under 30, this is a letter. <laughs> this is what we use to write. But this is what I was making my prayer life like. I would address it, dear God, I'd put the letter in the envelope, put a stamp on it, and I'd send it up to God, right? I'd send it up to heaven in the hopes that maybe I persuaded him enough to maybe even write me back. Well, guess what? God's written us back. It's right here. It's the Bible. But essentially, what I was doing is I was approaching God the wrong way. But then my approach changed. All right, how many of you have seen those crazy people in the airport or in the bank or wherever, and they're just talking to themselves, right? It's almost like they're yelling to themselves. Then you see that Bluetooth, and they're like, okay, good. They're not yelling at me, right? Hear me. Don't be that person. But this is how we should approach praying to God. It's like this never-ending conversation with God, that we have instantaneous access to our Father. Our approach should be like us saying, hey, Dad, never believe what I did today. And this changed my approach on prayer. It changed the way that I approached God completely. 
And it's with that in mind that I want to address this question. It's this question that came up a lot in the emails that we were receiving. And the question that we're going to tackle this morning is, is there a blueprint on how we should pray? So we're going to jump right into it. Here is one of the actual emails that we received about this topic. What are the rules for prayer? What are the guidelines for structure, in particular, for beginners? And if there is no secret handbook, great. Could that good news be shared so people will feel more comfortable going in the direction they want to go in prayer? So I summed up all these emails we got on this topic, and it's this question. It's, is there a blueprint on how we should pray? The short answer is yes. Jesus gives us a blueprint on how to pray. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 6, starting in verse 5. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. The text is going to be on the screen behind me. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. This is Jesus speaking. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So that word hypocrites, in the Greek, that literally means Play acting. So Jesus is making fun of these religious professionals and he's calling them professional actors. He's saying, don't pray this way. So Jesus starts, when you pray, don't play act. When you pray, be real, be authentic, be genuine. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, They have received their reward in full. So Jesus uses this term a lot, received their reward in full. What he's saying is that these hypocrites, that by showing off what they're doing is they're only reaping the reward of the praise of others. And that the only reward that they'll get is that they'll be seen by other people. And I think Jesus is implying that God doesn't see this as a genuine prayer because by definition to pray means to talk to God. And what they're doing is they're just talking to each other. And when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus says this exact same thing about prayer and about fasting. I'm sorry, about giving and about fasting. He says that you should do it in secret that your right hand should not know what your left hand is doing because you're not seeking the reward of others, you're seeking the reward of God. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So in the first century, the pagans, what they would do is they would use these really long lists in their prayers, and it would be a long list of all of their gods, and what they would do is they repeat it, hoping that by constantly repeating them, they would eventually call on the name of the God that could help him, that could help them. They're just covering their bases. And what Jesus is saying, don't pray to God like that. This then is how you should pray. Jesus is pretty clear here. This is the blueprint. When he says pray like this, I think he means it. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right. How many people just started reciting that as I read through that passage, right? How many people are looking around to see what communion station they're gonna go to, right? Like we have this automatic response to the Lord's prayer and we recite it and we say it, but very rarely do we pray it. The Lord's prayer may be the single set of words spoken more often than any other set of words in the history of the world. And it's dead to us. Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, this is the blueprint on how to pray to God. And I think we've become numb to it. All right. Do you remember the first time that you got on an airplane? Like the very first time. Do you remember what happened? I was about to take off. You got a little nervous. Didn't know if it was going to take off or not. As you got higher and higher, and as you flew through the clouds, you opened up your shade, and you couldn't stop looking out the window. It was breathtaking, right? You're in this steel metal tube, 35,000 feet in the air, going 500 miles an hour, and it was incredible, right? Then as time passes, that security line gets longer and longer, That guy in front of you, he's always reclining his chair back into you. (laughs) You're asking people to put their shade down because you just want to take a nap. Now it's become a chore. It's because we've gotten so used to it that we don't realize, we don't remember how amazing it is anymore. I fear it's the same way with us and the Lord's Prayer. Most of us just have it memorized. Most of us just recite it. And some of us, we get turned off because it's this religious tradition that we feel like we have to say. But it just doesn't mean anything to us anymore. Look, Jesus, he isn't giving us a lecture on how to pray. He's not giving us a religious prayer just for tradition. He's giving us a gift. Did you know that the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' teaching on prayer, it's a poem. Jesus clearly says, this is how you should pray. And then he taught us to pray in poetry. By the way, Jesus, he's the son of God. He's also brilliant. And this beautiful poem, it reminds us and it teaches us that it's not a reactive prayer that's so common to so many of us. How many of us only pray when something either really good or something really bad happens to you? But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. We're always in a position where we're reacting to whatever happens in our lives. And Jesus, he's teaching us this poem that's not reactive. It's proactive. 
We're to adopt this prayer every day. And it's Jesus inviting us in to participate with him in prayer. Another thing that blew my mind this week about this blueprint, about this gift of prayer, is that Jesus taught us that it models the two greatest commandments. So in Matthew chapter 22, this is verse 36, a lawyer is asking Jesus, and he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The first section of the Lord's Prayer is oriented around loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And then the second part, it's oriented around loving your neighbor as yourself. Did you see it? The first section, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Our Father in heaven, that's the heart. Come to God treasuring who he is, treasuring where he is, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Hallowed be your name, that's the soul. Hallowed, it's not a word that we use too often anymore, but what that means, it means holy, or means to be sanctified. And that our soul finds rest in how powerful and how holy the Lord's name is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's the mind. When we understand that if we're praying to God for his kingdom to come, that we have to take off our crown and we have to lay it at the feet of our king. That we understand God's will for us. Paul spells it out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And what he says is it's God's will for us to be hallowed. God wants us to be hallowed as he is hallowed. He wants us to be holy now here on earth as he is holy in heaven. In the second section, love your neighbor as yourself. Give us today our daily bread. Give us. That's me and my neighbor. Jesus is saying to pray not only for God to meet my daily needs, but to meet the needs of everyone. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We'll get back to that one in a second. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is teaching us how to pray through the two greatest commandments in poetry. It's beautiful. There's always layers to everything that Jesus says, to everything that Jesus teaches, and this is one of them. But is Jesus teaching us that we have to recite the Lord's Prayer every day? No, he's not. But he's giving us a blueprint on how to pray. 
And what's he saying? Don't be like the hypocrites showing off. Don't be like the pagans who babble. Recognize who God is first. Love God first. And then love your neighbor so much that you're including them and in praying for their needs as well as yours. It's an us prayer. It's not a me prayer. And in this blueprint on prayer, there was only one thing that Jesus decided to explain further, and that's forgiveness. The only thing that Jesus decides that is so important that he needs to unpack is the relationship between prayer and forgiveness. So these last two verses are Jesus concluding his teaching on prayer, and they're right after the Lord's Prayer. So this is Matthew chapter 6, this is verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is saying that the only way you can truly receive forgiveness the only way that you can truly give forgiveness is through prayer. That's the way. The well of God's forgiving grace inside your heart is the only well we can draw from to offer true forgiveness to someone else. That's the gospel. When you truly understand the gospel, you become a forgiving person. Why? Because forgiven people forgive. Maybe the best way to know where you stand with God today is by how forgiving of a person you are. Because your willingness to forgive others, it's a reflection of whether or not you really believe the gospel in your heart. You can't understand the gospel without understanding forgiveness. Because when you truly receive God's forgiveness, you can't help but forgive. However, if forgiven people forgive, then the opposite must be true. That an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. So there's a lot of people in this room this morning that are struggling with forgiveness, that are carrying around this weight of resentment against someone or something that happened to you or maybe even something that's happening right now. Maybe it's a business deal that went sideways that you just can't get over or that you've been abandoned by your father or that you've been abused by a person that you trusted, or that your spouse has been unfaithful to you, or that family member, or that friend has wronged you in the worst possible way. And then you come to a church service and you hear something about forgiveness and you think, how could I ever forgive that person? 
God would never want me to forgive that person for what they did. And you're harboring this resentment in your heart and it just won't go away. It's because you think that forgiving them means that you're enabling them. It means that, that we're a doormat. It means that we're condoning their behavior and that is not what Jesus is saying. Hear Jesus. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. Gospel forgiveness is not a forgive and forget thing. Jesus is teaching us the opposite. He's saying remember it. He's teaching us to call out the thing that needs to be forgiven and then pay that debt with forgiveness. Not forgetting it, not repaying it back with the wrong because an eye for an eye, that stopped on the cross. But look, thankfully, Jesus doesn't say that if you struggle to forgive or that if it's really hard for you to forgive or that if it takes a really long time for you to forgive, he only says if you refuse to forgive, then your father will not forgive your sin. There's a difference. But you won't be able to forgive without understanding the depth of how much we've been forgiven. It's understanding that forgiving them, it's not the first step, it's the last. That your capacity to forgive one another is directly tied to how you have received forgiveness. And if you've never received this forgiveness, then how can you give what you haven't received? Because it doesn't start with them. It doesn't start with what they've done. It starts with you. And understanding that we have all fallen short. And being honest with yourself that you haven't lived up to God's hallowed standard. And realizing that God, he could ask that exact question to us. And he could say, how could I ever forgive them? That's the point that Jesus makes with this parable of the unforgiving servant. It's this parable about this servant who owes the king a billion dollars, right? It's this insurmountable debt that he owes. And the king, he had compassion on the servant and he forgave him freely. But then the servant goes out and he feels it so little that forgiveness meant so little to him that he strangles his fellow servant for $10. And then when the king hears about it, he throws him in prison. And this is how Jesus ends that parable. He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We're to forgive from the heart. Forgiveness starts with the heart. We're not just to forgive the debt. We're to forgive the person. It's not just about forgiving something. It's about forgiving someone. It's the heart of the matter. Jesus always gets to the root of the issue. And Jesus doesn't just forgive our sins. He forgives us. And then he calls us to live differently. 
even if that $10 feels like the billion dollars. We're to be a forgiving. We're to be a merciful people, so much so that people will go, oh my goodness, wow. That God that they serve, he must be really powerful. He must be really amazing because do you see how they forgive each other? But then why do we even need to pray for forgiveness if we're already forgiven? That's a great question. Glad you asked it. Should have emailed it. But anyways, um, we're not praying in order for God to forgive us. He's already done that. Once and for all through Jesus. And he's a perfect and he's a just God and he does not need a second payment. But we're praying to remind ourselves that we're forgiven. We're praying to remind ourselves of the debt that we owe. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder every day. Because if we don't remind ourselves of our forgiveness every day, then it'll lead to us thinking that forgiveness is really easy for God to give. Or... It'll lead to us not understanding and realizing the reality and thoroughness of our forgiveness. And then what does that lead to? It leads to this whimsical, to this superficial prayer of repentance that doesn't lead to any real transformative change in your heart. Praying for forgiveness isn't just bowing your head. Praying for forgiveness isn't just how many times we can say amen in a day. It's working in our hearts that will make us grieve sin so much that it's worse than any of the consequences that come from it. Because if we lose our grip on the freeness of forgiveness, then it leads us to guilt. It leads us to shame. It leads us almost to self-hatred and isolation And that is so deadly. That's imprisonment. And true forgiveness, it's liberation. But you have to pray for that daily reminder when you have that resentment come up to you during the day. Remember that you can just go to the God of the universe, your father, like that Bluetooth is in your ear. And now you're that crazy person. Right? You're in the bank or the grocery store, and you're just like, hey, God, I really need you to remind me that I'm forgiven right now. And he'll answer you. He already has answered you. And he'll remind you how much you're forgiven and how much he fully loves you because you can't be fully forgiven unless you're fully known. You just have to receive it. You're already forgiven. And he's there. He's waiting on the other line to forgive you. And it's not just the Bible that talks about the benefits of forgiveness. So this is from the Stanford Forgiveness Project. And it says, although the act of forgiveness may not come naturally to us, Research has shown that learning to forgive lessens the amount of hurt, anger, stress, 
and depression people experience. People who learn to forgive also become more hopeful, optimistic, and compassionate. Forgiveness also has physical health benefits. People who learn to forgive report significantly fewer symptoms of stress, such as backache, muscle tension, dizziness, and headaches. In addition, people report improvements in appetite, sleep patterns, energy, and general well-being. Both this research and Jesus' teaching about prayer and forgiveness is that it's not natural to us. That it's incredibly difficult because we weren't made to forgive. We have to ask for it. We have to beg for it. We have to plead for it. We have to seek it. And hardest of all, we have to give it. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and it says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have to give it. Giving it is really hard. Some would say it's impossible. Some would say that in certain situations, it's, possible, it's impossible because the wounds are so deep. And I can only imagine the weight that some of you are carrying right now. But this is how Jesus responded to his disciples when they said, there is no way that we can forgive like that. There is no way that we can forgive everyone because have you seen what they've done? Their debt is too big. And then Jesus says something that you've probably heard before, but I want you to hear it in the right context. He says, I'll tell you what. If you say to that mountain over there, be thrown into the sea, then it will. We sing the song all the time here, and we sing, I've seen you move. Come move the mountains. Did you know God was talking about forgiveness? Only God can move some mountains in our life, and forgiveness is one of those mountains. And it happens through prayer. I think forgiveness has to be the hardest thing that God has ever done. In the beginning, how does God create everything? He says, let there be. He says, let there be light. Let there be water. Let there be land. Let there be animals. He says, let there be humans, his prized possession, whom he made in his image. But listen, with forgiveness, he couldn't just let there be. Forgiveness comes with a price. There was a debt that was owed and God couldn't just let it be. And he knew the price that it would take. He had to leave the riches of heaven. He had to humble himself on earth and he had to die on a criminal's cross. And he was still praying with his last breath about forgiveness. When he prayed, Father, please forgive them for they know not what they do. The reason most of us don't have a heart of forgiveness is we simply forget what Jesus has done. Let's not forget. Let's forgive. Because forgiven people forgive. 
Will y'all pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your forgiveness. God, we are thankful that we have access to you all the time. Remind us of that, that you are our Father, that we can come to you like children to a father. And remind us the depth of forgiveness that you've given us because only then can we truly forgive others. Jesus, you paid our debts. And thank you for that. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.